It's the season of giving, and we're looking ahead to the new year. And what better gift for the holidays is a gift that you get year-round, a book. Thanks to our sponsor, Book of the Month, we are happy to give you a discount on the best books of the year for just $9.99. You know I love Book of the Month. My mother was a member. My daughter's a member. I'm a member. And so do countless readers around the world because Book of the Month brings you the best titles at the best prices. Now, back to the discount. You can head to bookofthemonth.com and use code Adri at checkout to get your first book for $9.99. That's A-D-R-I at checkout. Thank you, Book of the Month. And thank you, dear listener. Thank you always, always for tuning in. And thank you, thank you for reading. Nicole Walters is a force of nature. She's a former top-selling corporate executive who quit her six-figure sales job in front of 10,000 people online. In this week's episode of You Are What You Read, we learn about the people and books that led gutsy Nicole to mega success and to find her deepest life's purpose. Nicole's parents were immigrants from Ghana. Her father was a cab driver pulling extra long shifts to put Nicole through school. And he taught Nicole the value of hard work in the process. In Nicole's memoir, which we're going to talk about, called Nothing is Missing, you will be inspired by Nicole. She strategized her way onto Wheel of Fortune, that's right, the television game show, to pay for college. She adopted three beautiful daughters she met on the street. And she's built a multi-million dollar business in one short year. What a way to talk about inspiration in the new year and inspiration to do our best and to find our purpose. I just adore her. She's now the host of the Nicole Walters podcast, and I hope you tune into it. And she's a wonderful motivational speaker. Nicole is passionate about teaching everyday entrepreneurs how to own their own power to succeed. You're going to hear a masterclass in living a bold and fearless life. But we're going to start with Nicole at a place she considers her second home, the library. So for you, when you went to the library, when you were read to, who appealed to you? What characters leapt out at you and changed you? So uh, there was a series that I absolutely loved. And it's funny that you say this, um, you know, being an immigrant, you live in two worlds. You know, you are, you mm-hmm. step out of your door of your home and you are in America, but inside your home, you are eating your native cuisine. You're likely hearing your native language. You know, it is very much an African existence for me. And I think a lot of us can relate to that juxtaposition. So the library was an escape mm-hmm. for me. And my the author that I read and I was obsessed with uh, was, Phyllis Reynolds Naylor. And she wrote a series called Alice. And what's interesting about these Alice series books is they are, for lack of better phrasing, regular. It's a story of a simple American girl growing up in anywhere USA and going through adolescence and her first crush. And, you know, her parents are, um, her mother had passed and, you know, she's being raised by her dad. I mean, it was just a very 
normal. The way I like to think of it is a lot like, you know, the storylines that you would write, you know, in, in your career, you know, just watching mm-hmm, people mm-hmm, be regular, mm-hmm. but ordinary moments, ordinary, ordinary moments, moments, you know, mm-hmm. and it was the thing that I craved growing up because I was in a home that had a sprinkling of chaos, you know, a healthy dose of poverty, trauma, you know, and I still had big aspirations, but I had no idea how to draw that vision for myself. And other authors like Phyllis Reynolds Taylor helped me paint that picture. So she get so, so Phyllis Reynolds Taylor gave you that American view, yes. right? Yes. Now, when you went to school and you were with African-American students who had been in America for 200, 300 oh, years, yes, right. their families, right? How are you treated and can you, could you find a common ground? Because, you know, uh, my grandparents were immigrants. I mm-hmm. get it. I understand completely what you're talking about, the language, the food, mm-hmm. the thing. And, and then you go outside your home. And my uncle said to, to, came home and told his mother and father, they don't talk like us. at That's right. You know? Right. I mean, you right. So world. if you're Ghanaian, it's the same thing. Same it's, thing. Right? I mean, like I would go to friends' houses for play dates and I'm like, so what do they eat for dinner? Like burgers, you know, cause at my house we eat rice. Okay. When you're African rice is for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay. It's always available. So it's one of those things where I was like, you know, are they eating a rice and stew? Like, do they eat spaghetti? And I learned that in American households, they eat somebody else's culture every day. So that's how it works. Some days it's spaghetti, some days it's tacos, you know, and, and that is both a beautiful thing and something I just didn't expect. So, you know, it, you're right, you know, being a African in so many ways, but truly an American is something I talk about in my book, Nothing is Missing, because, you know, it that that juxtaposition of trying to figure out how to fit in, but also being so proud of who you are and having such a distinct culture is something I battled with for so long and eventually learned to embrace. Well, there's a longing in 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 your book for home. Mm-hmm. There is, but also the 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 love that is there for home, and I and often with. Um, it's different with the African-American community because of enslavement Yes, that their, their longing for home is so deeply, it's a very deep wound. Yes, absolutely. Especially because you don't have clarity around where home is because when and you're, who they were, and who they yeah, were when yeah. your identity is stripped from you, you know, at that point, it can be so difficult, you know, to understand where you belong. Whereas I'm blessed to know very much where I belong and to have been in Ghana many times and to understand my culture. And um, I think you're hitting it. I think when there is a knowledge, you know, of, of where we're from and our origins and our roots, we can make connections better about where we're going. Right. Absolutely. And it it drove my values. I mean, when I talk about becoming an adoptive mother in my book and how I, you know, met these three girls on the side of the street in Baltimore and befriended, mm-hmm. you know, befriended their family and then found out that their mother was uh, going to going to be incarcerated within 30 days for substance issues. And then I took in these three girls and people hear this and they're like, Nicole, I, how could you do something like that? Like, how did you find it in yourself? But what, you know, I explain in the book is that that's the culture that I was raised in. In Ghana, it is very normal to be the village, you know? And so when I met these girls and, you know, once I know them, I can't unknow them, you know, it became very difficult for me to not help. Well, one of my favorite things about that in the book is the fact that as a, that you, you 
encourage us to be the universal mother. Mm -hmm. Your thing is you don't have to birth a baby. That's right. You just have to pay attention around you in the world you're in that there's a need for you. That's right. There's a need for you. Mm -hmm. And there's a need for your gifts. And it, it, it doesn't cost anything to love a child. That's right. You take them in. So tell us about how you put this family. Did you read to these kids every night? What did you, how did you establish for them, these, these beautiful kids? How did you establish these girls on what you would call a warm, cozy atmosphere for them to thrive? Well, I mean, it was, again, sort of living two worlds, you know, because I have these girls that I'm getting that are already partially developed, you know, a three-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 14-year-old at the time. So Mm -hmm. a large part of it on a base level, as I go through in the book, is, you know, filling in the gaps around needs, you know, that sort of Maslow's hierarchy. Mm -hmm. They need food. Mm -hmm. They need shelter. They need education, shoes that don't have holes in them. But then there's also teaching them how to navigate the world. And some of that is simply by example. You know, when I quit my job, my corporate job, to be able to pursue entrepreneurship full time, a large Mm -hmm. part of that was one, to generate income to support these three babies, you know, and then two, to also show them that, look, where you come from doesn't dictate where you can end up. And simple, big, bold pivots can make all the difference. What What are the fundamentals? And I know you mentioned some of these in the book. I wanted you to share them with the audience. What are some of the fundamentals that you insist upon. I know the library is important and reading is important mm-hmm. to you, but in your home, what are the fundamentals that are not negotiable that you you feel you have to do? So one of the biggest ones that all my girls know is do what you say you will do. And uh, do what you say you will do happens in both contexts. So if you say that you're not going to be able to show up and you set a boundary, I expect you to do that. If you say mm-hmm. that you will show up, I expect you to do that. And it can be imperfect. It can be something that isn't great, but you have to do that because that's all you've got in the world. you know. And I think both of us having worked in the industry realize that so much of success really is how consistently you are willing to show up. It's not that it's uh, so true, you know, like, I I mean, it really is. It's like, just be there. Even if you don't have the answers, just appear, appear and be say, what can I do? What can I do? I mean, I'm in LA Mm -hmm. now and you hear all the time in LA, oh, it's so hard to get a gig. Oh, the industry's so saturated. I'm like, no, it's because half of y'all sleep till noon, you know, and then you show up late because you missed the text and you were filming a TikTok. Like, honey, you got to understand that this is how you keep up, you know? And I try to raise girls that understand that as well, that a lot of my success in my career has been my willingness to show up time and time again. At the beginning, before we, we came on, we were talking and you said your eldest was 24 and I, it confused me because in the book, she's little. Yes. So so now, w- tell us where they are now and what they've become. Yeah. So, I mean, what's interesting is life has taken so many turns and I take people through that journey and nothing is missing. But, you know, in 2019, my middle one was diagnosed with stage four cancer and uh, that rocked our world, you know, but she's uh, healthy. She's fine. She it's amazing, again, how resilient children are. So she's in college and thriving. My 24 year old, um, you know, I talk about some moments that she really struggled with in the book that eventually led to her 
um, leaning into substance abuse as well. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, now, thankfully, she's 175 days sober. So, you know, really glad about that. And, Beautiful. Um, you know, and then I talk, you know, about sort of my journey in relationships. And uh, now I am divorced, you know, and so I'm living in LA happily, uh, you know, pursuing my life and my dreams of being a mom. And uh, all of it makes so much sense and nothing is missing. <laughs> Amazing. So this juggle, this juggling you do, um, it's driven by a very, very uh, deep sense of ambition. And I would say faith. Can you speak to your faith? Sure. So, I mean, uh, I think what's interesting, and anyone can say this, if you are creative, if you are an entrepreneur, if you are a stay-at-home mom who's crying in the pantry regularly because your kids are tyrants, you know, I can tell you that you got to believe in something, you know, and if you can't align your heart with knowing that there is someone else in control when you are a barely functional hot mess, uh, it's hard to keep going. And so I, you know, my faith is I'm a Christian and uh, having that relationship, you know, with God has really allowed me to know that after I've done everything, you know, it's in the best hands and, and everything will work out. And I'm just proud to be able to share how that's infused in my story um, and also infused in a way that's tolerant, respectful and welcoming because that's also, I think, is the best representation of my faith. Evidently, the three girls all have a work ethic because they see mommy has a work ethic. Yes. And can you speak to the importance of they see you fulfilled, they see you working for them? Mm -hmm. That bonds them together as a family, doesn't it? It does. I mean, I can tell you that I've had moments where I was saying, should I give all this up, you know, and should I, yeah, who hasn't, right, as an entrepreneur or creative? Of course, of moments. course. And when I've looked at my older ones, you know, they've said like, mom, you have to keep going. Like, are you kidding me? You know, because they've seen me build it from day one. They remember when I was shopping at thrift stores for their clothing because I only had $300 to spend for everyone, you know, and, uh, and they know that the work ethic pays off. They have to believe that because frankly, we don't have trust funds. We don't have a safety net. No one's coming to save mm -hmm. us. So we have to believe that it's going to work. And who taught you about money and management of money and business? Because you are such a successful entrepreneur. And I, and was it in you or did you go to somebody? Did somebody guide you in this regard? I can tell you that growing up, my father had a very weird relationship with money. Um, we listened to a lot of NPR, which is beautiful because I used to think that Diane Reem was like my grandmother, you know, and so we'd be in the oh, car. Oh, Diane Reem. I've been on her show. I love Diane Oh, Reem. I mean, when I tell you, and I'm just being love real, her. real, keep it really real, right? If I book an interview on All Things Considered, I'm hanging up my hat and I'm not doing anything after that. Like, I am the nerdiest of nerds and I would lose my mind, okay? Like, I would, I would just... I would cease to exist. <laughs> Even now, I'm sweating profusely just thinking about it. I'm thinking so about NPR. Well, sure, NPR. because that was your, that. yeah. It I mean, if you grow up with me. that. Oh, it was such a thing for me. And on, there was an episode that we heard in the car on the way to school. And they said that, you know, you have to, if you treat your money well, your money will treat you well. And um, I remember that very well. My dad, you know, I get home later that day and he is ironing dollar bills. 
because he wants to make them very crisp and very, you know, fresh and, you know, the most uh, literal of ways. And he repeats back to me, if you treat your money well, it'll treat you well, <laughs> you know, and I That's will so never funny. forget that moment because uh, they were just never really great with money and it always felt like it was scarce. And so for me, that has been something I've paid a lot of attention to. And I've asked, questions. but what did it, what did it do to you as a child to know money was scarce? What does it do to you that it, sh- it shapes you in some way, doesn't it? It does. I mean, what's interesting was my parents were telling me money was scarce and our lifestyle growing up in poverty with thin bare fridges, you know, was telling me that money was scarce. But during the day I was going to private school, you know, on full scholarship with, you know, Chelsea Clinton and Al Gore Jr. And one of four black kids in these, you know, schools and sitting next to kids who had meals that were made by butlers, you know, and I knew money wasn't scarce. Like I just grew up understanding that that statement isn't true, but I didn't understand how to fill the gap. And so what's great was from a young age, I knew that I didn't have to pursue changing that belief system. I had to pursue figuring out how to bridge that gap. And how did you do it? I started working very young and I asked a lot of questions. Uh, You know, the sort of subtitle of my book is uh, Memoir of Living Boldly. Uh, One of the things that I do boldly is I ask. I ask, ask, ask in a way that um, I think that some people don't realize they have the privilege of. It's free. Uh, The Mm -hmm. worst that anyone can say to me is no. And if I never ask, I'm already standing in the no. And that has been powerful. I will meet someone literally um, on in an elevator. One of my good friends, Seth Godin, I met in an elevator, and um, you know, I just started chatting with him, and uh, and I just asked, you know, so. What do I need to do to get here? Because I've done these three things. And what would you do if you were standing in this position? And people will tell you. They'll either tell you to bugger off, you know, or they will give you an answer. And that free information is worth its weight in gold. And I take it and I run with it. So you seem to build your life, your dreams, your projects one brick at a time. I mean, it's not you're not somebody who, you know, you're, who would take over somebody else's company. It has to be your vision. You have to start. It's I, I, I look at you almost like a seamstress. Like you have everything in the room that you need, including the machine. You have to thread the buttons, the patterns, the mm-hmm. whole thing. But it has to be yours. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting to me mm-hmm. because you walked away from this giant gig, this yes. incredible where anybody would go, they would say, Nicole, you're nuts. Right. What are you doing? Right. Just stick with it another five years, mm-hmm. get your, you know, 401k, mm-hmm. the girls are safe and sound. And, mm-hmm. but I, I, I loved it. Can you, can you reenact that moment for us when you said, Hey, I ain't doing this anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I did it live online in front of 10,000 people. You know, I'd been, uh, I, I, one thing I am very good about doing is not just burning the bridge down, but leaving scorched earth behind me. And it's not because I want to sully relationships, but because I don't want to be running back across that bridge when I'm scared. Yeah. But you also were not feeling heard. (laughs) I was not seen. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yes. So you had to do something, which I would call dramatic Mm -hmm. to get their attention and say, Hey, this is not the way this is going to be with me. Go Absolutely, ahead. Absolutely. Yes. And also mm-hmm, because people mm-hmm. are watching, you know, I think that a lot of people see some of these moments as they're scariest, whether it's leaping into entrepreneurship or quitting that, you know, golden handcuffs secured job. You know, sure. I, I knew that if I wanted to launch in a big way and, and really believe I needed to say goodbye in a big way. And I yeah, called up yeah. my boss and I, you know, said to them, 
today's going to be my last day. I feel like my brain is dying at this job and I'm grateful for what I've learned, but I've built something for myself. So I'm promoting myself to my purpose and I am going to work for myself. And, um, what was beautiful is my boss said back to me, if you have something you love and it is making you money, why are you still here? And then I left and I haven't been back since it's been almost. Well, that was, a, that was a very wise mm-hmm. boss, mm-hmm. wasn't it? It was very, very kind. I mean, and when I tell you, I just like asking those big questions, you'd be mm-hmm. surprised how often kindness meets you. So I'm going to just name the bullet points because the bullet points are so important to me. When I read your book, I underlined a lot of things because I just found, well, I found your voice so clear. It, you're the, you are the friend next mm-hmm. door mm-hmm. who somebody can knock on your door and you're going to give it to me. So, the, so number one is know, understand your origins and your roots and connect deeply to them. Yes. Yeah. From that, you create a family, mm-hmm. right? Number two, live in the world around you. Be aware. Be cognizant of what you see. When you found those three little girls in the street and their mother was in prison, you said, who else is going to do this? Yes. So yes. You, you, took, you took that on. Number three, you created with ingenuity, ambition, and that love of history that you had of your family and all the good stuff. And you made a home for your kids and a marriage. Yes. And it was a beautiful marriage. It was. Things, by the way. Things worked while they did, you know, and then they, they did. They really <laughs> worked great. They really worked great while they did. But, you know, again, Nicole, you're, you're a person that lives in the moment. And I think we are all looking at the world and how relationships and families are formed now with new eyes. Yes. And how we can serve the family. Yes. We just need to do that. Okay. Then number four would be to feed your soul. Mm-hmm. Feed your soul. Feed your soul. Listen to your dreams. Listen to your wants and needs and and have a personal connection to your God, however you define that. Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm still kind of in a daze. This is like a bucket list thing. I can't believe I get the privilege of being here next to you. And I'm so grateful. I can't even tell you. I'm like... I can't even believe this is happening right now. I'm so, my book is, one, I'm an author. How weird is that? Who, who even decided that? It's, it's very hard. Listen, it's hard work, but to write it as expertly as you <gasps> did. I mean, this is a book that everybody needs to, I mean, as I was reading it, I thought, well, this is, this is the commencement speaker forever. This, every you. young woman and young man needs to have a copy of this in order to do their own blueprint because you never judge and you never say do something this way, which I think a lot of, bo- of memoirs yes. do that. Yes. You know, like, well, this will work. But what you're saying is, man, you got to dig deep within yourself to find your strength. Yes. Don't look out there. Look inside you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. That's powerful. That's so powerful. And then finally, I would say to live in your truth, which is what you tell your girls, which is like, you got to say, do what you say, do what you mean, say what you mean, do what you mean, honor your promises. Yes, absolutely. And I think that when I look at your career and I look at the career of anyone who is still working in this industry and still creating and making an impact in the world, because frankly, you know, I think when you're on this side of things versus on the, I'm just trying to start up a TikTok side of things, you know, you're saying to yourself, is the work meaningful? You know, we, we can be creatives in any capacity, but is it meaningful? And I just want people to start asking themselves that question earlier on where they are, because it can change the course of your life. Okay. So before I let you go, you're on a train, Mm -hmm. it's the middle of the night and, and a woman comes up to you and says, what do you do? 
How would you how would you answer that question? What do you do? My very best and it's enough. What a beautiful, beautiful sentiment to leave us all with. That's gorgeous. Thank you. My very best. All right. Well, you're a superstar. I'm crazy about you. And I thank you for coming on. You are what you read. And now we're going to have everybody running for your books and the books you read as a child. It's wonderful. Thank oh, you so much. Thank you for having me. What a treat. I loved getting to know Nicole Walters and was so inspired by her charisma, determination, and vision for a better life and a better world. For behind-the-scenes previews of this episode, follow us on Instagram at You Are What You Read Podcast. We'll be sharing more updates and giveaways this holiday season, and you're not going to want to miss them. Thank you again for listening, and always thank you for reading.